crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. Today we have uh, a dynamic episode for you with Dax Craig, the co-founder and president of Pi Insurance, an insurtech startup that launched three and a half years ago, began selling insurance two and a half years ago, and from day one has had a foot in both a direct bucket and the independent bucket. And it's why I'm so interested in this company. And, and so you guys know, I've written a few policies with Pi, a few workers' compensation policies through Pi myself. Um, I like their product. Uh, they have some incredible pricing for certain classes. Um, they're easy to work with. I've had clients who've gotten some certificates directly from Pi who have given uh, tremendous feedback in terms of the customer service. And when you listen to how DAX approaches the business and why one, Pi chose workers' compensation to focus on, why they've stayed in only workers' compensation for this long, what he sees coming down the road. This is an episode that's going to get you thinking about the business and hopefully get you thinking about the markets that you place business with, why you place business with them, um, and, and what what potentially is out there in terms of opportunities to partner with companies that aren't necessarily of a traditional ilk, but could be incredibly valuable to your agency. I think you're going to love this conversation. Dax is a great guy, and it was a real pleasure to have him on the show. Before we get there, I want to talk about a brand new sponsor to the show. That's right. That's right. Everybody, wake up. Brand new sponsor of The Ryan Hanley Show, and that is Agency VA. VAs are talked about all the time. We had I had uh, Wes on the show, uh, one of the co-founders of Agency VA, and I know that episode got a tremendous number of downloads, listens. A lot of you actually consumed that episode. And then the feedback, the number of DMs I was getting on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter about virtual assistants after that episode, and really all I was doing is directing people over to talk to Wes, but you know, Wes and Ben uh, are doing things at Agency VA that I don't know that the industry has seen before. Their technology is second to none and is really becoming a gold standard for remote work and working with virtual assistants. And, you know, I, I, about three weeks ago, I got my first VA. I started to get to the point where things like accounting and data management and onboarding and follow-ups and you know first touch on on inbound service requests these are things that I just wasn't getting to fast enough while doing the sales and marketing uh, and closing that needs to happen in order to continue to grow rogue risk so I reached out to Wes and uh, got my first VA and I, and I and I'm loving it I mean it, it really is I mean it's like any other employee. I mean, a virtual assistant's like any other employee. Like you have to train them, and but but they they really do a great job of positioning your agency with the talents of the individual, and what you're forming is a partnership with that person. I mean, they become a, a vital part of your business, and uh, I just couldn't be any happier to have Agency VA as a sponsor of this show. I mean, the portfolio of companies that are sponsors of this show. 
um, I think is a testament to the types of individuals that are building supportive businesses for our industry. And I just couldn't be happier to have uh, Agency VA as a partner of this show. So go to agencyva.com, go to agency, the letters va.com, agencyva.com, reach out, connect, have the conversations. Like I say, with all our sponsor partners, you don't have to use Agency VA. You don't have to have a VA, but know what they're about. Get the demo, have the ammunition in your mind so that if you need them, you can pull the trigger because you don't want to wait until you have the, the need to start doing the research. Do the research now so when the need presents itself, you're ready, you can move forward. And I just could not think of a better partner to do that with you than Agency VA. So go to agencyva.com today. Now on to Dax Craig. I didn't know that you founded or were part of founding Valen Analytics. I was. Yeah. That uh, that was my first foray into uh, insurance and uh, insurance technology and analytics. How did you and, find uh, yourself there? <clears throat> well, I had uh, I had sold uh, a prior startup um, in the wireless space. Uh, in uh, 2000, which turned out to be a pretty good time uh, <laughs> to sell to sell a business, um, and was you know doing my obligatory couple years with the acquiring company, um, and a good friend of mine uh, was a data scientist, and it's like, hey, we should start something together, and we took two years trying to figure out what business would be appropriate for the use of analytics. Um, whereas much more of a greenfield opportunity settled on PNC insurance. I didn't know how greenfield it was. Yeah. It's funny. Um, it, it still doesn't feel like we figured it out. <laughs> it's yet. still greenfield spent, uh, geez, spent a long time, uh, you know, 14 years, basically building that business, um, ups and downs, fits and starts trying to convince insurance professionals that analytics could help them make better business decisions uh, was a super big challenge. Um, to spend a lot of time in boardrooms and in executive rooms working with companies to do, you know, their analytics strategy. And out of that saw uh, a super good opportunity in the small commercial area. Um, thought it was a, a really good opportunity to drive the use of analytics um, to help small businesses. What do you think now? It seems like today, even five years ago, the idea of using analytics outside of maybe this kind of ethereal, you know, I'm sure a travelers or a Hartford uses analytics, but mm -hmm. it feels like that has started to leak down into some of the super regionals and even, even, even smaller carriers. And then Certainly there are plenty of vendors that are using different analytical tools and even some agencies, you know, some mm -hmm. as small as maybe my agency, but some of these middle market focused agencies have started to really dig into, um, you know, what, what's going on inside their agency. How can they use the data they have bet to better serve or find other, what do you, it, knowing that, yes, it's still very much a green field. It does feel like there is a transition. Do, one, do you agree with that, that, that it seems like we now have momentum rolling towards people having a better understanding of what's going on in data and their, in their business in general. 
And do you think there was like a trigger point or a pivot point of any sort? So I don't think there was a trigger. Um, I think this has been slowly building over the last 15 to 20 years. Yeah. It really started with progressive uh, and using credit score for personal auto. That's where it all started. And I thought there'd be a wave after that and why I founded Valon, but there wasn't, uh, especially in commercial. Um, it's, an, you know, commercial is this sort of old line underwriting, right? It's, um, I've been doing this 30 years and I know a good, you know, plumber when I see one. And that, that's still pretty pervasive, uh, except for the large national players and some of the super regionals. I think you're right. And there are a few pockets um, where we're seeing the use of analytics um, take up in smaller companies, but I wouldn't call it broad-based at all. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it, analytics are very expensive. Um, they're counterintuitive, right? And so they fly in the face of everything you've ever learned about underwriting. Um, and so that's really hard for companies to, to grapple with and to grasp and to sort of change their mindset on and then lastly, which is probably the biggest problem, the systems that uh, are out there today, the core policy admin, claims admin systems are really difficult to deal with. And they're very difficult to get data out of. And they're very difficult to, to leverage to drive appropriate use of analytics. And I think that's maybe even a bigger problem than mindset is today. I think mindset is something that the the carriers are slowly starting to come around to even um, some of the smaller ones, but they don't have the systems. Yeah. They don't have the money. I, I heard somewhere and this could have been tongue in cheek, but like 50% of all the COBOL programmers left in the world live in Hartford. Someone told me, <laughs> it was like, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what the statistics are, but I think banking and insurance are keeping them going. Yeah. Um, nice cottage business. Yeah, yeah, that was that. I, I don't know. That could have been completely made up, or you know, or someone was joking or whatever. But I, it, I had the same reaction to it. I was like, if you told me it was actually true, I might believe yeah. you. It's yeah. a believable statistic for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that 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 really turned me on to to you guys, um, and one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show in general was uh, my. So I'm startup I've been in the industry for 15 years. I don't know how much you know about my background. Yeah, I read your yeah. background. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I kind of was an agent. Then I went to kind of, I, I'm always been a marketer has been my background, but kind of went into the technology world for a little bit, mm -hmm. learned a ton there and now have started my own agency and my expertise is comp. And I've always known about you since you launched following the space. And mm -hmm. then I actually, uh, got access and, and have written, uh, I think, a couple accounts with you guys through a wholesaler. And okay. um, I was interested, you know, just some of the markets that you attacked and, and the way that you priced it. And then I started digging in and, and uh, you know, the, the common belief or the common perception of independent agents of a company like Pi is these guys are full of shit. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's just like your first reaction. That's what yeah. you, you know what I mean? That's just what it is. You know, you can't help Too that. Too good to be true or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. we've, you know, how, you know, we, how have we not figured this out in 400 years that they're going to come in and put punch some numbers into a keyboard and figure something out that we haven't figured out. That's kind of the classic take. 
And then, um, so, so I had, I had a really interesting experience. I, you know, placed this policy with you guys, everything went smooth. Um, I, my client has dealt with your team or, you know, your, your company a couple of times in, in some certificate requests and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And everything was super positive. And, um, and not that I wouldn't expect it to be, but you know, as a brand new carrier, essentially, you just don't know what you're going to get. And I came out of it and I was like, you know, this, this is a pretty, there's something here. Like this is meatier than just a fly by night kind of insure tech company that, that frankly, we're kind of used to for, and from an independent right. space. You know what I mean? Right. We, we, so I, I, I'm just, I'm really interested and want to dig into some of the core concepts as much as you can share without giving away all your, your secrets. Um, you know, the core concepts, where you see you're taking it, because I guess my, my whole goal for this show, in, in particular this show, like uh, talking to you, is I want to start to open up agents and carriers' eyes to finding partners in, that look more like you guys that can help them in their business and, and, and opening their mind up a little bit to what's possible and what you guys have going on. I guess that's maybe like my overarching goal to this mm -hmm. conversation. So you know, what was it about small commercial and in particular workers comp? You said that you saw something. What was it that really you were like, bang, that's the next thing. That's where we're going. Well, I mean, it comes from a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, struggles trying to sell analytics to insurance carriers. Uh, and if anybody has paid attention to any blog posts I've written, articles I've written, speeches I've given over the last 10 years in particular, they would know that this shouldn't be a surprise because I tried to get insurance companies to do exactly what Pi is doing. And it, Although most people think it starts with the technology, it, it actually doesn't. It starts with the customer, like the, like the real customer. Who is buying this insurance policy? You know, the person writing the check. God bless agents and the distribution partners we have. Like they're, they're amazing and we, we love them, but we start backwards from the customer. And what does the customer need? What does the customer want? The customer wants the best price they can get, with the least amount of friction possible, right? And that's true of an agency relationship and or a direct relationship. And that's why we, we, we do both, we, we're multi-channel. There, there are a class of business owners that are shopping for work comp insurance, 1030 at night in their underwear, right? You gotta be there for those people too. They're generally fairly, very small. And then your, your agent needs they need to be so fast that it pays to write small commercial. So we started with that, that backwards look, right? Let's, let's not start with the regulatory environment. Let's not start with EMOD. Let's start with, with what the customer needs and build technology that allows the customer to get that. So that was the first step. That was the first thing that I tried to get companies to do for years and years and years. <clears throat> And then the layered on analytics. <clears throat> so at, at Valon, uh, we had a contributory database where we had, I, I don't know the exact numbers they are today because I'm not involved with the company, but you know, it's five, six, seven million um, 
detailed work comp policies with claims history, everything. I mean, this is a lot of data, bigger than Hartford and Travelers combined. And we could see in the data where the pockets of, of opportunity were. And, and we kept telling people, oh my gosh, there's these, these small businesses are underserved, right? Most agents don't want to deal with them because they're too small. It's just too much of a headache dealing with the, the carriers. It's too big of a headache to deal with this $2,000 policy. It's not worth it. So that they were underserved and they were systematically overcharged, you know, 30% in, in many cases. And so you, you see that kind of, uh, you know, problem in the marketplace. And it's like, well, we can solve that with technology. If you make it super easy for the agent to do business with you, they can actually serve that small business, right? So no longer are they ignored. And if you use analytics, you can actually drive pricing down where your, your pricing across the spectrum is much more competitive, right? There are a lot of players that'll write restaurants, right? Write a clean restaurant. Well, so what? Everyone will do that. That's no shakes. Who cares? Tell me how many people will ride a trucker or a landscaper uh, or a painter or, or some of these harder to place trades that are small. And so we kept trying to get people to, to pay attention to this and nobody would. And finally I was like, you know what? Let's go see if we can do it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and that's how, that's how Pi was born. Yeah. You know, one of the things that um, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and we were talking just in general. Well, we'll call it we were bitching. We were just we were kind of <laughs> catharsizing mm -hmm. um, about different things. And I said to I said to him, you know, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of relearning lessons about the business. For eight years, I lived this life every day, and now I'm kind of reliving it again. And mm -hmm. I forgot about some things. And one of the things that I forgot about is how everybody writes everything until it's not in this nice pretty box and yep. then no one wants it. And yep. I, you know, I was saying to him, I, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I'll have marketing reps and carriers banging on my door, emailing me, calling me saying, Hey, well, we, we write this now. And it's like, that's great. Mm -hmm. Except how many bakeries with no delivery with, no, no deep fryer who, you know, don't do table service, who don't uh, do any kind of, you know, whatever, you know, how many of these perfect boxed risks actually exist in the world? Like, yeah. you know, how many of them are there? Because the moment that there's anything outside of the box, it goes from super fast to incredibly slow. And or not at all. Follow-up questions and the premium goes, starts skyrocketing. And, you know, it, it becomes very difficult. And, and people have been dealing with this forever. I'm not the first person to deal with it. I just feel like, you know, I feel like these are some of the problems that, that companies like yours are starting to chip away at. And I wonder, you know, when some of the, um, when some of the, the legacy carriers start to pick, I think some are, but I think there's a lot that still haven't picked up on this idea of, of, you know, how do we do the things in an expedient way that aren't the perfect packaged box? Well, I think it starts with understanding your underwriting appetite and why you have that appetite. A lot of carriers have an underwriting appetite 
and if you ask them why, they actually can't articulate it. Uh, it's not data-driven. It's, you know, somebody got burned on a plumber in the 80s, and so we don't write commercial plumbers. Like, really, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world, but it's true across the board. Uh, and so you see a lot of that. You also see companies come in and, and go out of different classes or different states or different types of business. You know, they've got a premium uh, target they want to hit. And they're like, well, if we write a bunch of this, we can hit our premium target, then we'll come out of it. So they don't provide consistency. So you never know if they're going to decline it, accept the risk or not. We hear that all the time. And so we don't have that. <laughs> we use data. And so we're in the classes we're in because we believe um, they're good business in each of those classes. There's also bad business in each of those classes, right? Think about how most underwriters, underwriting companies work. They look at an individual piece of business and they say, I don't like this business or I do like this business. Instead of thinking about it as a portfolio. If you think about it as a portfolio, you can actually do a lot of different things and a lot of different pricing mechanisms because that's what actuaries do, right? I mean, and, and they're quite good at it on a broad portfolio. Problem is when you take that portfolio and you make it narrow, their science starts to break down, underwriting know-how starts to take over and, and it's just very difficult. And so we, I can't stress enough how important the data and the data science behind it is. And that's, that's where the other carriers have got to catch up. Yeah. Where do you see, um, you know, you guys have, you guys are, are multi-channel, um, you know, one, why go multi-channel? Why involve agents at all? Or, 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 you know, and, and the opposite is true too. Why spend pay-per-click dollars on direct business? Like when you make, when you look at that, are, is it something you're still evaluating? Are you still in the testing stage for distribution? Or do you feel very comfortable about being in multiple channels and, and, and how that works? We're super comfortable multi-channel. We were always multi-channel from the very beginning. Yep. Even though people like to put us in the direct box, we've never been direct only. Uh, and never thought that we were going to be direct only. We want to meet the, the customer wherever they are. Right? And, and there are some customers that do want to buy direct. That yeah. just, right? Um, they might be younger. They might be Gen Xers, you know, millennials or Gen Y. They want to buy direct because that's how they're comfortable. Um, but, you know, what, 98, 99% of all comp is bought through an agent? You'd be pretty stupid just from a business standpoint not to work with, with agency partners. And agents provide a huge value to their customers, right? They, they have knowledge that the customer doesn't have, and that's incredibly hard to replicate in a direct environment. So... I think that that direct will always be there. I think agencies will always be there. They'll live in, you know, in a symbiotic world. Um, and I think your smaller and smaller risk will go more and more direct uh, and your larger risk. And I don't mean big, I mean like 5,000 in premium and above. They'll, they'll continue to stay with agents. And it, it almost feels like, uh, and, and I think this is just starting to happen. So I do not think this is a trend, uh, like a widespread trend, but I do think 
uh, at least in some of the circles that, that I run in, it's, it's very much taking place, um, that what was maybe a very clear five to 10 years ago delineation between the people who took business direct offline and really tried to automate and then agencies, those were two very different business. They mm -hmm. are every day mashing and, and, mm -hmm. and, and merging more. And this, uh, hybrid agent, you know, I refer sometimes as like a human optimized agency, like, you know, you're, you're doing everything you can with automation up until the point that you need a human and then you're bringing them in to really mm -hmm. provide that additional value where, you know, when I've learned the business, I mean, there, one, we were still writing things in pen on, on, well, actually right. pencil face it when you made a mistake. I mean, like this is how far we've come just in, in not a short amount of time. And um, you know, where, where do you see some of that going? Like, do, do you see more, um, you know, if I were to Google workers comp right now, I'd probably get two independent agents that are trying to drive business in mm -hmm. and I get maybe you guys and buy Burke or, you know, Hartford runs some paper clicks and, and there's this mashup of agencies and, and, and how do you see that continuing to evolve or, you know, and do you? I mean, I think it's going to continue to evolve as more and more, um, let's call it the buying process. The insurance buying process moves online. Yeah. He, there's got to be a blend. Um, I think it's it's challenging and it's expensive for a carrier and an agent to acquire customers. Yeah, it just is right. And and whether that's a human being dialing the phone or it's pay for click or or something of that nature, or some kind of oddball partnership, it's expensive to acquire customers. And so the companies that are going to win are going to figure out how to acquire customers in a cost effective manner, whether that's direct or through agency partners up until now. Um, it's always been a lot cheaper to acquire customers through an agency force for a carrier. Now, as more of that moves online, is it cheaper for the agent to acquire customers? Um, I don't know. It's a pretty competitive world. So it'd be interesting to see how, how these things come together, you know, symbiotically. I think they will. Uh, I think they have to, cause there's, there, there's an element of trust and, you know, the, the insurance knowledge that the consumer just doesn't have. Yeah. Right. And whether it's comp or it's BOP or it's, it's some complex package thing. The agent knows how to do that and the, the consumer doesn't. Yeah, the, the trust piece is still for me what we actually what we actually operate in. Like that that to me is whether you're whether you're direct, captive, you know, some crazy version of that, whether you're doing cold call emailing or you know, knocking on doors, it, it's really just how how much trust can you drive mm -hmm. into a client to 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 break whatever their threshold is, right? And everyone's got a different threshold for how much trust they need. And that's really what the game we're playing. And if, it feels to me like the cost of acquisition on the agent side is going up. It does not feel like digital has brought it down. It, it just doesn't I feel would that agree. way. I think it's too competitive. Yeah, it just, today, to get in front of someone, to get the time that they need to, to build that small amount of trust, 
um, you, you know, like what you guys are doing, you know, I see you guys running Facebook ads, you're running ads all over the place and you're doing that to build trust. You know, some of those, mm-hmm. I mean, I see the, the playbook. I mean, some of them are branding, some of them are trust building, some of them are storytelling, some of them are direct, you know, driving in hardcore CTAs and, and you're doing that because that's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, agents have to do the same thing. They have to brand either locally or nationally or in their niche that costs money, cold email. So I think what's interesting is, and I actually had this conversation with one of my carrier partners the other day. Um, they asked, they said to me, you know, Hey, it's been five weeks and we haven't had an account with us. And I said, that's because it's really hard to quote business with you. And they said, what do you mean? I said, I have six direct appointments for this line of business, this line of business that I attack. You are the hardest one to do business with. You are the, you are, unless I can, unless I see that you are an obviously lower than any of the rest, you literally aren't even getting options. You're not even getting shots because you're tough to do business with. So that, cause that drives my cost up that, that time cost, I think is a big part of the equation. Especially for small accounts, especially for small accounts and especially for smaller agencies or agencies that haven't adopted any kind of automation. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to do that, that piece, I feel like is a big part of what as, as, as analytics start to permeate deeper into our business and we can start to see where we're spending time and how much that time is costing us. I feel like there's an enormous opportunity for be it a carrier or a technologist or whatever, who can start to find that time and then find ways to chop it out of the process because that's where you spend, you know, that's where, that's where you lose or the, that's where so much of the cost of acquisition is being driven up is just in time. It's just in ticks of the clock. Well, I think that's right. I I think um, most people that have been in the business for a while don't appreciate how much their time cost. Yeah. Right. Cause it's always been the way they've done it. They've, you know, taken people to lunch, they've gone to seminars or whatever it is, how they acquire customers and it's worked. Right. And then it becomes an annuity. So it's, you know, it's, it's a great life if you can build it up. I think it's painful to get started. Um, but most people aren't thinking about scale. Right. And so like a pie, all we think about is scale. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a very good example. So you probably have marketing reps that call on you, right? Oh, and I, constantly, right? And, incessantly, we could even say. And pre-COVID, that was likely in person, right? Or they wanted to, right? Donut dropping and whatever else they wanted to do. You think about the, the amount of windshield time those marketing reps have. Yeah. That's just totally wasted, wasted time. You know, instead of having 12 meetings in a week, what if you said, I'm not going to get in my car and I'm going to have Zoom meetings and I'm actually going to provide value to the agent, not just pester them to give me more binds. Oh, now all of a sudden you think about scale and instead of 12, you can have 60 or 100 meetings that provide value to the agent, not just pester them and want something from them. That's, I mean, that's the kind of mindset Pi has, right? Where we're not going to bug you unless we have something to say. Yeah. Um, and, and we want our, want the proof to be in the pudding, right? You're not going to send us business if you don't get something back quickly and it's, it's going to be priced well. So you're not going to do it. So like, that's our part. I'm not going to badge you for, to send us submissions when 
everything that I, you send us, we decline. Well, that, that's not a good experience. Yeah. You know, I think um, I was actually talking to one of my marketing reps and I, I give them a hard time. Many of them, I mean, they're all great people. They're trying to do their best. The, the COVID for all its awfulness has actually, I think, drastically improved the marketing rep agency experience for the reason that you just defined. It has forced them to go to Zoom, which force it, which saves them time, which means you can have a 15 minute meeting or a five minute meeting because they didn't drive an hour to get to your office. Exactly. And you know, that, that really amps, cause I'll talk, if you're going to say, I need seven minutes, I can give you seven minutes. That's no problem. Let's, you know, tell me what you need to tell me. I'll, I'll hear about the new service line coverage endorsement for seven minutes, mm -hmm. but you want to come over for an hour. Well, that, that doesn't work. And I really right. think that a lot of marketing reps have taken it to the next level. And, but one of the, I want to talk about scale for a second, because this is, mm -hmm. this is a, so I've been doing digital marketing and growth keynotes in our industry for, for literally a decade. I, my first one was in August of 2010. And, uh, and one of the very first things that I would say at the beginning, partially because I like aggravating people was, you know, if you aren't dedicated to growth, then you need to get out right now because this is going to be awful. You're going to hate everything that I have to say. And what would be interesting is I would see people kind of look around and, and you could tell they, they actually were not interested so much in growth. They had reached their number. And um, I guess my question is like with, with, Companies coming in, and I say coming in because what, uh, Pi's been around for three and a half years, right? So still relatively new in the yep. spectrum of- They've been selling for two and a half, but yeah. Two and a half, in yeah. So, three and a half. so um, when, 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 when new entrants are coming in who have a very legitimate product, who have history in the industry, who understand what's going on and are growth focused, you know, where do you see, I mean, how long can, 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 Entities that are not growth focused, how long can they stick around? And this is the last thing I'll say before you respond, because I know I'm on a diatribe now. Um, the good news is my show, so I can't get in trouble. Uh, so is I had a carrier say to me the other day, uh, we have 40% of our agencies are losing so slowly that they believe they're winning. And I thought that that was one of the most profound ideas that I had heard in a very long time. And it made me uh, nervous for those agencies because a lot of good people, but very excited because that means 40% of agencies are going away. And how can we capitalize on it as organizations that want to stick around? Well, I mean, I don't know the answer to your question about... Um, how long they can live. I think that depends on the size. Um, if they're big enough, they can live for a long time. Um, if they're smart, they'll sell, right? There are lots of people trying to aggregate agencies to yeah. do exactly what we're talking about here is to get scale. Uh, and a lot of private equity money has come in, you know, to, to do just that. Um, you know, I, I have a philosophy, right? If you're not growing, you're dying. Uh, and if you're dying, you'll be dead. Um, so I'm, I'm all about growth, like, and, and how you get growth and how you uh, continue to grow your business. If you're not growing, how do you attract top talent? 
they're not going to come to work for you if you're not growing. Hey, come and work for my dying agency. Doesn't sound very appealing. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, uh, I don't know what the average age of, um, insurance agent principal. Okay. So it's, and that's probably generous. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, generation that's, that's closer to retirement. Maybe they don't need to do anything. Um, I look at it, uh, along the lines of innovator dilemma. I don't know if you've have read Clayton Christensen stuff, but I mean, it's, this is exactly what's going on. It's that, you know, small upstarts are finding little pockets, little niches to be successful in and building and growing from there. And pretty soon, those little bitty niche players are now big players because they've taken market share from everybody else that was not paying attention. Um, I think there's so much focus on insure tech that I think people are paying attention, but I wonder. Yeah. So one of my favorite books in the technology space is uh, Crossing the Chasm by um, Gregory mm-hmm. Moore. How, you know, you guys, I th- are, do you, one, which side of the chasm do you think you're currently on if you were being, you know, as honest as you're willing to be. And um, so then my, depending on what your answer is, uh, how do you either get across it or how did you get across making that jump? What's well, interesting, crossing a chasm, um, I mean, is a seminal book, right? It's, it's like, it's, the, it's a technology Bible piece. Yes. Um, and I think very, very appropriate for most markets. I think the difference in insurance is that it already exists, right? I mean, work comp, you have to have it, right? There's not a, there's not a product market fit uh, that we have to deal with. And that's usually what you're trying to cross a chasm is to get that product market fit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, once you get the product market fit, right, then you start to scale the business. Well, part of the reason we chose comp was because it's mandatory in most states. So they had business, we don't have to convince anybody to buy it. Um, so from that perspective, we not really cross the chasm. Um, I think we are, I think we started on the other side of the chasm. Um, and we're growing like crazy uh, to answer that part of your question. Um, you know, we started two and a half years ago. Um, we'll, uh, I mean, we, you know, we'll get ready to publish some numbers, uh, coming up. Um, let's just say that, uh, we finished year around 40 million last year and we're going to far exceed that this year. Um, so we're growing like crazy. That's great. And you can, of course in comp, you can grow all you want, uh, if you don't care about the loss ratio. Um, and I think that's an attack that's, that's, sort of the next question is, oh yeah, you can grow, but if your loss ratio is 140%, who cares? Well, that's not how we operate. You know, we're, we're at a a 30 point loss ratio. Um, So we're really watching our P's and Q's. Um, So growing that fast with a low loss ratio is, is, you know, all about the analytics. So I want to take it back then because that's super interesting to me because the experiences that I've had with you guys so far is, even on just a straight LCM level, you, you know, I, I wrote an account with you guys. Um, 
uh, it was a HVAC contractor, not, not terribly large, but, but, mm -hmm. you know, decent size. And, uh, you know, they, they had a, a good, good market currently and, um, they were getting poor service. So instead mm -hmm. of just straight BORing it, I said, you know, let's see what else is out there. And you guys were competitive underneath that, underneath that number. And to, to see those kind of competitive rates and to still be at, you know, a 30% loss ratio is, is, is pretty impressive. So kind of going back to something you said earlier, so I can better understand this, because I think I glossed it a little bit and I apologize. You had made the comment that um, where, where a lot of underwriting is done is they focus on a singular risk, this specific, you know, X risk. And what you guys are doing is looking at the risks as a pool and, and that's helping you better price and better understand that even if this particular risk isn't, you know, the cream of the crop risk, it fits this pool that we're looking at. Is that, is that giving me, is that a better way? Of a little bit. Okay. Let me, let me try and, and help you. Um, so if you look at a, um, a bureau price, okay. So you get a bureau price, say it's $10,000 on a risk. Mm -hmm. So that, let's just say that's the average price that the market's going to going to charge $10,000. Some carriers are going to say, you know, that's a little riskier than $10,000. So I'm going to, I'm going to surcharge them. And some are going to say, ah, it's pretty good. And we like this agent. So we're going to, we're going to, we're going to discount this. Um, right. And that's, that's kind of the job of the underwriter to understand the market and deal with the agent and stuff. Well, that's not how we think about things. So what we think about is, okay, that particular risk, are they below average risk? Or are they an above average risk analytically? Not, you know, do I feel like they're a better risk? It's like analytically, can I, can I tell you emphatically they're better than average risk? And if they are, right, that fits into the pool of better than average risk. And that group of better than average risk is going to perform much better than your average risk. Likewise, but if, if, you, if you plot that same kind of thinking from an underwriter's perspective, <laughs> might as well throw darts. It's, it's random. So that, that's, that's how we're using the analytics. It's really to, is this, this risk better than average or not? And if it's better than average, we're going to price it accordingly. Yeah. So we don't write everything, right? But we can't, what's very difficult for agents to, to understand about pie, they want class-based business. So like, okay, will you write landscapers? Yeah. Then they send us a landscaper and we're like, well, you said you wrote landscapers. We're like, well, we don't write them all. Yeah. <laughs> we write the ones that are better than average that we can analytically show are better than average. Oh, well, this one's only had two claims. It's like, yeah, but a two claim landscaper in uh, Queens is a hell of a lot more risky than a, than a zero claim landscaper in Macon, Georgia. As you know, that's a super simple example. Yeah. So we price them differently. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. I do think that, um, so, so do you see a place for, cause, cause sometimes the, the other way is true too, right? Um, sometimes the, all the, well, I, you know, all the numbers may show or the system shows or the computers show 
um, this thing is outside of what we want. Mm -hmm. But as an agent, knowing the business owner, walking the building, knowing the employees, seeing the operation, you're going, look, they had a bad day, but in general, this is a profitable risk long-term, mm -hmm. you know, do you, and, and what I found is there are, there are carriers who will come back and go, if you think, if you're willing to sit on this and you think that this is good, I'm listening to you and you sent me pictures and we, you know, and then I'm willing to give it a shot. And then there's carriers that are just like, nope, computer, you know, I got a big X on my underwriting screen here. So no, thank you. Have a nice day. You know, do you see the side for some human stuff? Do you have that as part of it? Or, you know, is it kind of cut and dry? The, the analytics are the game. No, I, I, and, and, and we've studied this for years uh, at Valon, trying to understand, right. The analytics only it's human being underwriters, only some blend of the two. Yep. Uh, and what we saw uh, emphatically was that the combination of the two actually gets the best outcome. Now that doesn't mean that you should believe every story an agent tells you. Yeah. You shouldn't. No, you definitely should that, not. That, no. Especially because they have a different motivation than you do. Yeah. It's it's called uh it's called bending the submission. You 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 massage yeah. and bend the submission to, to <laughs> Yeah, because your interests aren't necessarily aligned, right? Um, the, the agent wants a commission and the underwriter wants a, you know, a good portfolio of business. So what we do, um, the analytics obviously come, come first. And when there is a compelling argument um, that the analytics are wrong and they can be wrong, they are wrong. Um, the analytics don't know that there was a discontinued operation as an example. Yep. Analytics doesn't know that you sold off that piece of the business that had all the claims. Analytics doesn't know that new management came in, right? Or they moved to a new facility or whatever. They put in a lockout tagout program. Who knows what they've done? The analytics doesn't know that. And so as an agent with, with a carrier that uses analytics, you know, my quest or request is for you to tell us that. Right, not just pie. Anybody else that does this too, tell us that those kinds of things are important, um, and smart carriers will listen. Yeah, I agree. I I wholeheartedly agree to you. I agree with you. I think you know I, I'm I'm yet to run into a system, a process in our business where all tech or all human is the answer. I just have right. not run into that yet. I I. And the, the more I get into running this agency, the more accounts that I've written, the more people I've talked to, the more experience that I've had, it just keeps coming back to there's some middle area. And for every process and organization, it'll be maybe skewed a little more human or a little mm -hmm. more, we'll call it, you know, computers or whatever, even though it sounds like, I, I sound like I'm like seven years old when I say that, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, those, oh, that magic box with the pictures. Um, the, you know, that to me is where we all need to be going is how do we, how do we continue to mash up all the access to data that we have and the, in the insights we can drive out of them and then use, you know, some sort of rational thinking, some sort of logical thinking matched with just some, a little bit of intuition mm -hmm. to come out with what feels like a very good answer. Mm -hmm. And, um, it seems like everyone wants to push, I shouldn't say everyone seems like a lot of people who are 
who are struggling in this new environment have continued to either push all digital, they just want everything to be streamlined, no humans, you know, complete mm -hmm. self-service. And then, and then the other side is, you know, screw the computers, you know, we don't want Terminator 3, you know, our, you know, Judgment Day coming. So, you know, that, it feels like that middle ground is the answer here. I think it is. And, but I also think it depends on, on the size of the policy, right? Minimum premium, you know, $700 deal, it's pretty hard to go to these arguments all the time because it's <laughs> just, it's just, there's not enough money in it. Yeah. Um, but larger policies, you should always, you know, try and get that human element in yeah because uh, it does matter so um you know i want to be respectful of your time and, and i really appreciate this conversation i think a lot of people are going to take a lot out of this uh where where is where's pie going what's what's the next you know you're two and a half years in a selling three and a half years mm -hmm. in the business you know we're staring at what feels like what feels like um a lot of open ground for you guys you guys are are out ahead you know in terms of maybe your positioning and your technology. And as you're building relationships, you know, you have a lot of steam, like, like where, where are you going? What, what are you excited about coming down the tracks here? Well, let me answer the first question. Um, sort of the longer term question. Um, I want to create the, the largest small commercial insurance company on the planet. I want to stick to our knitting and keep it small love small business. My great grandfather was a small business owner. My grandfather's small business owner. My dad was a small business owner, right? It's like kind of family blood. Uh, so I love small business owners. Um, I think there's a lot of hay to make there across the planet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't predict exactly what's going to happen. Um, but I can tell you that's our goal. And I love, you know, 20, 30 years from now, for my grandkids to say, my grandfather created that, you know, signs on the door kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, when we get there, I don't know, but we're sure going to try. Um, okay. One follow-up question to that. You keep saying small business. Does that mean you're going to come out with a bot product or you staying in comp? Great question. Um, so we're sticking to our knitting today in comp um, because we, we have a competitive advantage. Um, our data pricing, our data and analytics give us a pricing ability that I think is second to none. Um, for us to go into other lines of business, we have to figure out some kind of similar competitive advantage. And that's challenging today to, to see the path there. Mm -hmm. uh, I do believe that our customers um, want to buy other small business insurance products from us. Certainly our agency partners want us to sell other stuff. Um, so to the extent we can figure that out and figure out, you know, a competitive advantage, um, we will. Uh, so I, I do see that in our future. Is it six months from now, six years yeah. from now, 16 years from now? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I, that seems that's, that's a fair answer. You know, I think, um, you know, I, the tough part about, you know, you definitely, I can see what you're talking about with the competitive advantage on comp you know, with the, with so many companies already having $500 minimum premium bops available, yeah. like what, what, what's the differentiator when so many, when, when every company is basically willing to write a, a million dollars in liability with all the things that come in a, pa yeah. a, a package of a bop for 500 bucks, you know, there's, that's a tough one. 
commercial right. auto would be one. I mean, the market, I mean, and the market's getting slaughtered, but man, if you could figure out a way to, 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 to clean up commercial auto a little bit, there's so much opportunity there. That, that, that is. Yeah. And, and auto, you know, wheels are, are something most of our clients have, right. Cause we do a lot of stuff in the construction trades, mm -hmm. right. They've got trucks and vans and, and whatnot. Um, right now we're, we don't think we can beat progressive commercial auto. Uh, so we're, we're happy to, to sell it. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's, it's gotta be something we, we can sink our teeth into and get yeah. some advantage. Yeah. I think that's fair. Well, uh, Dax, I, I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you coming in and having this conversation. I know you're a busy guy. I know you got a lot going on and, um, I just love exposing the audience here, the independent agency ecosystem to, you know, I think companies that sometimes uh, are misunderstood in general. And I, and I think that's the case with you guys. I, I know I probably, I didn't really know what to expect. And then my experience was so positive. You know, I didn't necessarily have negative feelings. I just right. didn't. And then my experience was so positive. And uh, I just said, you know, this is more agents need to understand that here's a resource for them and a market for them. And then I, 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 I operate with a lot of other agents that focus on workers comp and mm -hmm. yeah, it seemed like a natural fit. So I just appreciate you sharing your expertise, how you guys operate. I think it's uh, I think it'll be very interesting for a lot of our listeners and I just appreciate the time. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to come aboard and, and talk to you about it and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to work with you as a producer as well. So. Absolutely. Yes.
smoke a joint, bubbles? Yeah.